Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a true football fan, you know that the Browns suck. You suck, Cleveland. Eat that. How do you like that? Have fun in the playoffs this year. And if by this year, I mean never. You know what? I found out something funny today. Odell Beckham Jr. plays for the Cleveland Browns. Can you believe that? That's insane. And you can even bet on the amount of catches he has, and you can bet that it's definitely going to be under five at least every game, despite how good he is because the Cleveland Browns suck so badly. And when you bet on that, you can bet it at mybookie.com, which is the premier place to place all of your bets on your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at my bookie and bet against the worst and bet against the Cleveland Browns because they will not let you down. Did I mention that you suck, Cleveland? Eat that. If you're the kind of guy that likes to win a little, then... This isn't the place for you. But if you're the guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, then try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week. Put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. The best part is if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right. If you put in $1,000, they'll give you $1,000. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all of your favorite picks. Use the promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code C-H-A-I-R. And this is the introduction you get when you bash the quarterback of the temporary quarterback of the Steelers over the head with his own helmet. And then your entire city defends his actions in some sort of mind-blowing way. Visit mybookie.ag online today to bet when uh, Miles Garrett will be let back into the NFL. Could be never. Who knows? You play. You win. You get paid. been over three decades since the Browns recorded more than a solitary victory over the Pittsburgh football Steelers in the course of a single season. And it remains thus. Perhaps Mason started it. Perhaps he didn't. What is unequivocal, however, is that Freddie Kitchens should begin interviewing realtors. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is December 1st, 2019. This is Tom in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. I want to make a a small asterisk based on the commercial we just read. We were three for three in my bookie bets, betting the system, as we like to call it. Unfortunately, I did not have the intestinal fortitude to bet the parlay I wish I had. I could probably retire tomorrow. But it was a victorious, victorious day all around with the Stillers vanquishing the Browns 20 to 13. This is, uh, you think it's the most satisfying win of the year? I mean, the Rams and the, the Indianapolis Colts and Rams back to back wins were so satisfying, but just 
now we got it done after the the Miles Garrett incident, which lowered my faith in humanity and and just made me overall depressed on account of how many people were somehow trying to spin this as if it was a 50-50 kind of situation or a 60-40 instead of a Miles Garrett is an absolute psychopath and anything that happened before that is irrelevant. Well, that was a little depressing, and I kept my mouth shut, kept my hopes down because the Cleveland Browns are more talented, at least on you know offense versus defense, than the Steelers are. And I knew, hey... They got a chance, but I do like the look of this game with Miles Garrett not playing. He is a huge disruptive force. I like the look of this game without Mason Rudolph playing. He has proven to be quite flaccid as the Steelers quarterback. And I know Duck wasn't um, on paper a huge step up, but I do think that, as I've said the entire season, he gives the Steelers a little bit more chance to move the ball down the field. And also being at home, I knew the Steelers had a great chance, especially with how that defense is playing. And then Freddie Kitchens wore the Pittsburgh started at shirt, and I really knew that the Steelers had a great chance at this. But now we've done it. We've knocked them out of the playoffs pretty much. Don't play them for another year. And I have never talked crap about the Cleveland Browns in my entire life because why would you bother? They're so irrelevant, and I actually like them as a franchise because traditionally they've been good for two wins a year for the Steelers. But now, after the events of the past few weeks, we, we got a whole year of crap talking. And I want anybody who's listening to this podcast right now to give it to the Cleveland Browns harder than you've given it to any team ever in history. But I do love them because they're so consistent and so, so bad at football and everything else, and beating them, oh, that is just sweet justice. How do you like that? Well, you may have heard the uh, the term steak on the lake. Well, it might feel great to dance on the grave of the Browns. It's time to look forward. But before we do, let's look backward because it is so very satisfying. And uh, I will say, I, yeah, I mean, that whole – Game two weeks ago, set this up perfectly. Freddie Kitchens, I wasn't kidding. I mean, why would they keep this guy? He is, he looks like he's pandering mm-hmm. to be a coach's, to be a player's coach, wearing that stupid sweat t shirt. Did you see the interview with the bag, Big Ragu after the game? No, but I saw the interview with Freddie Kitchens and he blamed the shirt on his daughters. But what did the Big Ragu say? Well, the Big Ragu, Ramon Foster, for those of you who aren't sure who the Big Ragu is, I was just saying, you would never see our coach in a T-shirt like that. It's just we work for a professional organization. And that's the way we want it. I mean, we want to play the game on the field. We don't want children coaching the team. We may have some criticisms about play calling and, you know, the need for a Stanford MBA to do the clock management. But we're not going to see the immaturity. I mean, that guy, Freddie Kitchens, has not done anything to warrant his ability to or his what, what, what word do I want? He's wearing that T-shirt to call anybody out after yeah, this season. Yeah, it's stupid. I guess he I, – but, but, but if you think about why he did it, I guess it's sort of some juvenile form of support for his, for his player. Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk actually spun it in a way that got me thinking it might be genius to endear, uh, towards endearing himself to Cleveland fans – who, of course, we know are the most delusional of all fans. I used to respect Cleveland fans, and that's another reason why I never talked crap about them, because I'm like, how 
do they keep coming back to watch this team? And I sincerely, I'm, it sounds tongue in cheek now, but I've actually always respected it. Like that's such a football town. They, you know, this organization is run so poorly and it's not the fault of the fans that I respect them for continuing to watch. But now I don't respect them in any way, shape or form after this Miles Garrett thing. And of course that would appeal to them wearing the Pittsburgh started shirt. And maybe that'll help a grassroots campaign to help him keep his job, which would be great for us in Pittsburgh. Look, it, it's been Cincinnati. That that is that is a t- that is a bad city. Cleveland. I mean, you you probably read some tweets by some just two standard deviations from the right fans, just idiots. Because I think mm. by and large, Pittsburgh resembles Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Cleveland resembles Pittsburgh in a lot of ways for many reasons that are obvious. But sure, I, I think you're so on the football field, of course. <laughs> yeah, but they did have a they have a storied history. And uh, late well, though, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they did. That Let's focus time. on the. Why, why don't we focus on the game now? Let's. Can we move to the game and talk Let's about the, the themes? Game. That we've I'll been get to the five. crap talk. I'll, yeah, we got some good themes. It was a great game. It was an encouraging game, and uh, I will get back to talking crap about Cleveland later. All right, the the, the lead that cannot be lost, and I, I don't think this is lost on anybody. This was just defensive domination. This is what we've come to expect. A little more than halfway through the season, uh, the Steelers just stifled uh, any opportunity that Cleveland had. Although I would say from that that first series, it looked a little daunting, but that quickly ran its course. Well, you know, we talked about that after the first series. I never panic after the first series. The first series is scripted by your... Um, by uh, your coaches based on what they've seen the opposing defense do the entire year. You're basically putting out, here are our best 10 to 15 plays that we have designed to exploit the weaknesses of a particular defense. So sometimes teams will go down the field, <coughs> excuse me, and score in that first possession, and then you'll shut them down. Reminds me of last year when the Steelers played the Panthers, and they, well, excuse me, the Carolina McCaffreys, and they gave the ball to McCaffrey a couple times and scored a touchdown in like 20 yard increments, five plays, like 20 yards apiece, and got down uh, and scored on the Steelers so easily in that first drive, and the Steelers ended up winning by like 70 points. So we saw that. Um, I think what I've identified kind of personally just as the, as the big reason why the Steelers were able to win this game, I mean, we know what it generally is. This defense is very good for the Steelers. But what specifically happened? Because the Browns at times were able to get yards passing and they were able to get yards running both with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And at times the Steelers were able to tighten up. But the biggest thing for me, it's the sacks and the turnovers. And like, especially when the Browns would get down into the red zone, the Steelers were mostly able to end those drives with a couple of sacks. And part of that is the ineptitude of the Browns being able to work in the red zone. And only a few great teams are able to be consistent down there. But, uh, you know, Mayfield trying to process down in that area of the field where everything is closer together, you don't have as much room to work with, seemed to be his undoing because TJ and Bud and Hargrave, my God, I'm going to cry when we lose him. But they were able to, along with Cam, take advantage of that and get sacks at critical times. They got Baker Mayfield to fumble at the 50-yard line. That was a huge play. And then, of course, Hayden's interception to end the game was another big play. So defense is great in general. um, But the sacks and the turnovers, five sacks, two turnovers, and particularly in the red zone, that's what I look at as my kind of chief reason for the Steelers 
taking the victory. Yeah, the Steelers actually, I, you know, I, I hate those chunk yardage plays, but the Browns did not take advantage of the middle of the field, which tells me it's, it's not that Baker Mayfield isn't seeing guys wide open in the middle field. It's that the Steelers are covering now. It's not like it was last year where, oh, we're behind. Let's just start throwing to the tight end. Um, Steelers defense averages 320 yards uh, let up per game. The Browns got 352, but I mean, the tail of the tape is that they only got 10 points out of it. Yeah, and who knows what's up with Cleveland? I mean, it's obviously a lot of coaching uh, inadequacy, and then mix that with Baker being young. I do think he is very talented. I assume that, unfortunately, he will continue to rise in the NFL. But you see what happens with the Steelers with inadequate offensive coaching with Randy Feetner and and at times Todd Haley, who did a lot of great, but then he had just these moments of boneheadedness. Uh, but you see that someone who's experienced, like a legend like Ben Roethlisberger, can compensate for that. And we'll talk about Feetner later. Obviously, Feetner doesn't have a lot to work with, but then he's also, in turn, not giving those players much to work with themselves. But with the Steelers, you know, Ben has seen it all, and he knows how to control a game. And he can overcome an average to mediocre offensive plan. Baker I think he's just too young for that. I, I think everything he's shown has said he'll be able to get to that point, but they're not there right now. And without somebody to show him the way on offense, this unbelievable collection of talent, like Killer Bees-esque collection of talent that Cleveland has, has just not lived up to potential. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., you got to tell me where he is on the field. First off, he looks terrible in a Browns uniform. This is, this is atrocious. America needs to watch highlights from Odell Beckham Jr., and they ain't happening in Cleveland. So ship them somewhere else. But as long as it's not New England or, or Baltimore. So maybe I should be careful what I wish for. But either way, I guess just what I'm trying to say is there's such a collection of weapons on, on, on Cleveland's team, and they were able to get the best of the Steelers in some man-to-man situations earlier in the game. But you're right. They were able to tighten up as the game went along. And then, like I said, it's the turnovers and the splash plays and the sacks. And then there's even some plays from, like, T.J. Watt where he forces an incompletion on a screen pass because or a swing pass because he jumps in Baker Mayfield's face or the one where he hit Baker Mayfield in the elbow and, and so on and so forth. It's the impact plays. And we said that when Shazier was ascending, it would be great if there was just one other guy who could make those type of plays. Well, now there's, like, six of them on one defense. Well, I know that... Uh... This is going to be lost on the general audience unless you're interested in World War One. But the Germans had something called the Schlieffen Plan. It's this pincher move. They're going to come through Belgium and just pinch off the French army. And that's kind of what the Steelers did. You didn't see Baker Mayfield scrambling at all to the outside to make plays. I mean, he was, I'm just, just reading off the statistics, he was hit, uh, for, uh, I'm looking at the Cleveland, Cleveland stats, Quarterback hit seven, five sacks, as you mentioned, and uh, five passes defended. When was the last time we saw a number like that other than in this season? So it was just a stifling right. defense, and that very gratifying. Well, that's a really good point about rolling to the right. Baker Mayfield got a couple of those, but that's his entire game, and that's what killed the Steelers in the first matchup when they played. Baker is letting him roll to the right. If you were able to shut that down, 
then you're going to be in great standing with him. I mean, obviously, he can deliver from the pocket, too, but that's where these guys make their really big plays. I mean, same with Ben Roethlisberger over the course of his career. It just felt like if he broke the pocket to the right, you're getting a touchdown to Brown or Wallace or Ward and and Patrick Mahomes. Don't even get me started with that. But if you can cut that down, uh, then you're going to be in good shape, and that's where you got to credit Tomlin and Butler for tightening that up. And that they did. So I think it all starts on the defense with the just, you know, making adjustments, making splash plays, actually just stopping people and having good man-to-man coverage and pass deflections, like you said uh, before. Um, And then just, yeah, getting better as the game went along. And then, I mean, they got the ball with two minutes left, the Cleveland Browns, with no timeouts. And any year for the past 10 years, we're thinking that's an automatic touchdown and they didn't even get close. So times have changed and they've changed for the better. And I like it. So yeah, start with the defense. I'm generally not uh, looking too far down the road, but let's just face it. Javon Hargrave, six tackles, ah. but a sack uh, tackle for loss and a quarterback hit. Common knowledge yeah. seems to say uh, he's not going to be here after next year, as, as is a story with Bud Dupree. Yes. If you lose those two guys, I'd, I'd really like to see more from Bugs, but I will say Tyson Alu-Alu, Alu-Alu, depending on which hemisphere right. you're from, right. did admirably. And uh, Bugs is playing a lot. I noticed he's gotten a lot more snaps now. So I wonder if they're sort of preparing for that eventuality. Yeah, you want to get these guys yeah. worked up. Stunned, Bugs, you? you know, six round Stunned pick or whatever it was. I don't. I, I think that I'm talking. and You're not hearing me because we're doing a laundry room recording and using MiFi. I think there's some sawdust in can my you, mouse. Hold on. Okay. Can you, Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Can the audience still hear can me? Hear me now. I can, and I can hear your analysis on Isaiah. If Bugs, you can hear Nick, please tweet us right now. <laughs> Right, this is a live podcast. Yeah, Bugs. I mean, he's not. It's not the pedigree of Hargrave. Hargrave is a third round guy. He's brought in to make big plays like that. I, I agree. I like to see Bugs and these depth guys being worked in more. Of course, it's impossible not to think about losing such a big chunk of that defensive front with Dupree and Hargrave. I think that they will make every attempt in the world to retain Bud Dupree because that's what the Steelers do. They traditionally retain mostly everybody. Um, but then you got T.J. Watt's contract coming up soon after that, and Juju and some other big guys you got to pay. So it's a little complicated, but, yeah, they're all beasts. So that's the defensive well, side. Well, let me ask you the this. The other thing to me, hmm. what? Tewitt's coming back. How much do you work to retain Hargrave yeah. versus Butt? I mean, you just let sort of Hargrave slip into the water and you just spend your attention on um, Bud? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what they're going to do. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're just going to let Hargrave walk more or less because he also would fit better in a 4-3 defensive scheme, and he doesn't get as much burn as he needs to in Pittsburgh. So you're right. That's probably what it's going to be. That's looking a little bit ahead, but it is sort of depressing, and I'll just mention it again. If Ben Roethlisberger were playing right now, oh, my goodness, I I do think it might be Ravens, Steelers, then Patriots in the AFC race. And I know the Patriots beat the crap out of the Steelers with Ben in the first game, but the Steelers are terrible usually in the first game and it will be different by this point. Okay, so that's the defense. We're looking, so first point why the Steelers won this game, the defense is good and particularly because of the sacks and the turnovers and splash plays. The other reason why they won this game is because of the 
mid-game eruption from NFL star receiver James Washington and Duck Hodges, baby. Duck, he deserved it. It, it was rough at first. Quack, quack, baby. They, it was rough. And you can make the argument that it was Feetner who was really holding them back. And because all he wants to call, I mean, God, I have so much to get into on Feetner, so I guess I'll save him for later. But either way, it was a lot of screens. It was a lot, a lot of runs. It was a lot of predictable second and ten. We're going to run it. They were terrified to let Duck lose the game for them in the beginning of the game. And, you know, to a somewhat justified extent, because even with the conservative play on offense the defense was keeping the Steelers in the game and and we'll get more into that later but at some point they had to run the two-minute drive and as we have seen so many times in you know Steelers history over the past 10 years that's when everything started clicking and Duck got that long pass to Washington on a free play on to the left sideline um which kind of knocked the saran wrap that was the first nice play that the Steelers offense had all game long then there was the unbelievable touchdown grab that Washington had and there was another deep beautiful throw beautiful over the shoulder catch to the right for James Washington and really that's what that's what got the Steelers going not only to get the Steelers going but it got the crowd into it and you know the crowd was ready to show up with all the vitriol towards Cleveland after the the Garrett incident and we're just going to keep repeating it because we've been saying it since the offseason. James Washington is a borderline star in the NFL. I mean, this guy is the real deal. The way he succeeds, he can su- succeed in a multitude of ways, but it's within his character. We know that this guy, he goes downfield and uses his body and his strong hands and balance to make big catches. And I was scared of him when he came into the NFL because he is a deep threat, technically, as a player, but he is not fast. And then we saw over the first preseason, oh, he just has a knack to get downfield and box guys out and catch the ball over their heads. And it didn't really show up during the season. That was the first preseason. It didn't show up in his first regular season. Then in this offseason, he absolutely exploded catching balls down the field and did the exact same thing all year this year, and I just can only imagine what that guy's going to look like when he gets Ben throwing to him next year. So he's a beast, and uh, that made all the difference because, like we've been saying, you got a terrible offense, but even if you had, you know, due to the youngness and lack of talent at quarterback, as much as we love Duck, it's impossible to just ask these guys to go down the field four yards of play 14 14 play drives every game. You need to make splash plays. And Rudolph was not offering that on a consistent enough basis. And Duck really did a good job with that. And thanks to Washington's amazing hands as well. Well, with the minute 12 left in the first half, somebody thought, what the hell? Let's just, let's just let it loose. And that's when Hodges started throwing downfield. He started with a completion deep left to to Vaughn Jones for 28 yards, followed up by that 30 yard Kevin. touchdown to Washington, uh, where he was, I mean, just the focus was unbelievable. He just got grabbed yeah. by the shoulder pass going down. We would have had the ball at the one yard anyway, and we would have had to bring in uh, Redmond. What's the first name? <laughs> Isaac Redmond. Isaac Redmond <laughs> to finish it off. But uh, right. that's what it started it. And I guess they've been, ah, what the hell? He's completed two long passes, and that's when it opened up. It's interesting. 
I mean, yeah. that's kind of why he was brought in. And well, actually, I think yep. your point was his mobility. And he did show that uh, on a couple of plays where he ran one for that first down where he slid. Actually, two first downs he ran for. But who thought he was going to yeah, be able to and, go? And, and, like I said, he has, he has shown that he can throw downfield before, but with accuracy. And, uh, you know, James Washington, geez, the guy just can grab anything out of the air. It doesn't matter if he's slow. He's just, I'm going to jog down here. They're going to throw it up, and I'm just <laughs> going to take it away from you like a baby takes. I'm sorry. Nick's in my mouth. That's right. Like a baby, a baby takes things from an embryo. I don't know. Yeah, he he's just great with body control and boxing out because that's another way. There's more ways to get on top of somebody, uh, you know, more ways than just running by them, right? So either way, that's really what broke up in the game because they weren't just going to crawl their way back in. There were some other good offensive performances as well. Another guy that I was nervous about when the Steelers drafted him, Benny Snell has looked really good two weeks in a row. And this guy's coming back from like in-season knee surgery, but he also is as advertised. He's a plow. He's a human plow. He is, he is, uh, what's a, like a cool synonym for plowing, but either way, he's able to bowl forward and push piles and um, be decisive and have good vision when he runs with the ball. And he clearly looks like a running back as opposed to a James, uh, as opposed to Samuels, Jalen Samuels, who also had a decent game, but really having Snell in there to be the main running back has been really helpful. And I'm very excited to get Connor back, but Snell has, exceeded what I expected out of him so far this year and the past few games because he was pretty brutal in the preseason and the first couple games of the season. So if he can do the traditional Steelers, lose 15 pounds or get out of my sight immediately and gain some burst and some acceleration, he could be an interesting guy in the running back room next year. But he definitely helped a lot with his running over the course of the game. Listen, I've had hangnails that prevented me from going to work, and this guy had a scalpel sticking out of his knee and he got back on the field after what four days from being cut open yep. and the guy averaged almost four yards a carry it was fantastic he had um two carries that were over 10 yards and the 14 yard both the 14 and 11 yard carries i mean he was just carrying guys with him and i also can we yeah. just point out that his touchdown david DeCastro just lifted several guys on his back like atlas and said come hither Benjamin, and score your touchdown. It's good to have a, a god or a demigod like that on your side blocking for you. But that, that was weird, by the way. We were both saying, how did he, like, how did he end up in he the disappeared. Yeah, he, he disappeared. He disappeared. <laughs> hey, and that's the sign of back. Throwing guys off of him like, like Gulliver. Throwing Gulliver's, you know, the <laughs> yeah, little exactly. people. Exactly. Well, yeah. he's exciting. And then White, 40, this other running back that they picked up off the street. This dude is legitimately exciting. He had a return out to the 40-yard line. And I I want to keep feeding this dude the rock. And when, when Connor comes back, I, in my opinion, I would like to kind of put Jalen Samuels on the shelf a little bit because the cupboard's getting a little thin. Uh, Snell and White have impressed, impressed me much more. And I kept telling you during the game how does white not get on a single nfl roster until last week because he is so clearly faster than most of the people out there and his physicality like his physical makeup is good he doesn't look tiny it's not dre archer out there he is 
a playmaker that I am very interested in seeing the Steelers uh, work with going forward. And I could be really excited about him even for next year if you're able to continue to develop him because the Steelers need that home run ability that he offers. So very excited from him. Washington, great. Benny Snell, very good. White, a couple little flashes. Deontay Johnson's worst game of the season. And I love Deontay Johnson. I'm very encouraged about him. But he had a personal foul, a bad punt return. He had one great play on a third down conversion in the fourth quarter where he decided to run out of bounds instead of stay in to keep the clock moving. He had a, he had a, one or two other big ones that I'm forgetting about as well. But, you know, rookie growing pains for him. One reception. And then he that one play, the interception, where he still oh, right. plotted the yeah. interception. Yeah. Hey, I want to rewind, though, on um, – Samuels. Samuels had 32 yards, four and a half yards of carry, and he had, um, let's look this up, 22 yards receiving. I, I uh, think you've got, I think there's a place for Kareth White on the team because he can play, you know, he can return and he can play uh, special teams. So maybe you carry three running backs. I just can't look at, you know, I, I can't just look at these stats from Samuels and, and, I think that a lot of people who would have been put into that situation would have accumulated those numbers, right? If you're just looking at numbers, he's not as powerful as Con. He's the slowest and least powerful of all the the backs. Maybe he's more powerful than White, but White is twice as fast as him. And like I said, I liked Samuel's game. He's good. He's a guy who made it into the NFL as a running back. He's not abject garbage. He's not Jonathan Dwyer, but... You know, there's other there's plenty of other people who, when put into those situations, can make those plays. But I will give him credit because I thought this was his best game since the Bengals Wildcat game because he trucked a few guys on the outside perimeter. So that was nice to see. But I think once you get Snell up to speed, he's going to truck that guy quicker. And I think if you get White or Connor, they're going to even blow by him and make even more out of uh, out of that. So just the fact that he got yards, like, well, okay, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get zero yards or whatever it is, but, uh, you know. Well, I think I would uh, use a little more. Yeah. I think I would adjudicate the rushing attack as more than adequate, especially on a slippery field when it, you know, you wonder about the landscaping, whether it's right. been properly manicured. Well, it's important to properly manicure the field. And I'm talking about a football, and I'm talking about in your own bathroom, gentlemen, because Manscaped is what i got to tell you about right now. Support for Armchair comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Hey, listen, don't mess it up, okay? Please, for the love of God, for the love of the women in your life for the love of really just your own personal sense of pride be a man okay it's important to dress well play well look what did Deion Sanders say look good play good play good damn it no he didn't he said look good feel good feel good play good play good make money well it's time for you to make money and you can also save money on manscapes because you get 20% 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. I don't know what these dudes did. They just took us into the future because it's impossible to nick yourself or ding yourself when using these tools to make sure that you're all in order with your family jewels. They also got 
anti-chafing moisturizers and deodorants and stuff like that. It's just, let me just make it easy on you. We don't really need to go into tremendous detail here. I mean, my dad's on the line right now, but it's, it's a one-stop shop for men. So just make it happen. Your balls will thank you, says Armchair. Charming. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use armchair. And I know that Randy Feetner doesn't use armchair, but you guys should. And if by armchair, I mean manscaped. Wow, what a good segue. Because uh, I, re- I actually wish we'd have done this sort of mid, mid-episode because this is a negative and I want to end on a high note, but Randy Fitchner's performance, not all that. Listen, Randy Feener is not very good as an offensive coordinator. He's not the worst I've ever seen in my life. He has barely anything to work with. You have to give him credit for, I mean, do you really? (laughs) We score like 10 points a game. But either way, um, let me put it this way. See if I can pull up a tweet for this guy. He doesn't have much to work with, so you do have to give him credit. He's working with a fourth-string quarterback. Now, granted, this isn't just any fourth-string quarterback. This is Devlin, Doug Hodges, quack, quack. You have to give him credit because he has barely anything to work with, like I said, but here's how I sort of summed it up with the tweet during the game. I totally understand being conservative with the play climb because the defense is keeping you in the game. They were only down 3-0, then 10-0, and then at that point, they did actually open it up to his credit. And in the second half, when he saw that passing the ball down the field resulted in moving the ball down the field and maybe keeping the defense off of the, on, on their heels, he saw that and he adjusted to it and he switched. So I give him some credit for that. So I get being conservative with the offensive play calling. If you're too aggressive, the lack of offensive talent, especially at QB, will result in turnovers because we love Duck, but his arm just isn't that strong. It's not as weak as Rudolph's, but even, even the catch to Tevin Jones is ooh, very dicey just to be able to even throw the ball in there hard enough where the defense isn't able to make a play on it. So I get that you just don't want to th- make turnovers because this defense is so good and they're keeping you in the game. But... So conservative is fine, but predictability is the issue. This guy is like, sometimes I think that he has the mind of an eight-year-old child because he'll call a play that'll work. He'll call a wildcat play that'll work, and he'll go, amazing. Let me call the identical play one play later. He'll call the same thing the instant later, and and defenses are keyed on to this. The biggest example being Duck Hodges. They called a brilliant quarterback draw in the red zone. Who would I never expected them to, to run Duck Hodges on a quarterback draw, and it worked for six or seven yards. And the very next play on third down from like the 10 yard line, they called another quarterback design run. So, first off, that's stupid because the defense is already keyed into the idea that this guy will run with the ball. Second off, the type of run he called was ridiculous. It's a quarterback sweep, which is a run to the outside, to the left side with no lead blockers. If you remember, they called that with Michael Vick on fourth down and one against the Baltimore Ravens a couple years ago, but this guy is not Michael Vick. He is not Lamar Jackson. You don't run a quarterback sweep with Duck Hodges. Okay, so he doesn't have much to work with, uh, and the predictability is just the, is, that's the problem because we know on second and 10, he's running the ball, and second and 12, he's running the ball, and some of that you can say, I, I'm sure the Steelers would argue, listen, we just don't want to turn over the ball because our defense is keeping us in games. And maybe it will be hard, Dad, for you and I to argue with this because they've, they're winning every game they play right now, it seems like. But 
This is an issue, and we saw what happens when you spread out the type of play calling you're doing in the second half and in the second quarter and third quarter. So it's his predictability that really kills him situationally. If it's a third down, the Steelers are running two crossers underneath, and the Browns were hip to that a couple different times for some big stops for the Cleveland Browns. So he needs more variety. It really does seem like Ben was sort of the de facto offensive coordinator last year with Feetner in there, and it also tells me that Feetner's probably not going anywhere as a result of that because Ben might want him in there because that means Ben's the offensive coordinator. But, yeah, he offers a lot. I, I know he doesn't have a lot to work with, but you got to understand, when we're sitting here calling out every single screen on first down, draw on second down, throw away on third down when we're calling it out on our couch every single week that's a problem so nick i think at the end of the day randy's job is saved by the fact that we're playing with house money and he has had success and i actually look back at the scores they're not it's not uh it's not paltry we're winning with or over 20 points generally per game or, or at least scoring that many with a four-string quarterback so I think he'll get credit for that. He'll be back with plenty more wildcat and shovel passes show next year. Unless, of course, Ben vetoes. He'll be back. I think that you have to go back and look at how they scored those plays. In a lot of those games, it's Minka Fitzpatrick touchdowns, short fields, Mason Rudolph getting 80 yards off of pass interference. Like the Steelers, you and I were talking during this game, we actually went through all the scoring drives for the previous three or four games and found out that they had maybe one drive in four games that was a real, like, get the ball in the 25-yard line and march down the field and score instead of these things which are short fields created by turnovers or penalties. So No, but I'm not going to uh, sit here and listen to you bad-mouth the United good. States of America. Randy will be back stronger than ever next year. He'll not only be the offensive coordinator, quarterback oh, coach, God. running back coach, but he may be senior assistant head coach. But let's look into the windshield at the Steelers' schedule that's coming up. Very interesting. Cardinals, Bills, Jets and Ravens obviously playing the class of the league in the last game of the season. I think we're setting up the Ravens for a perfect fall because they're going to want to go into the playoffs healthy. And I don't like to win this way. Actually, I don't care if we win, if there's, if they're sitting guys out or they're, they're sort of ratcheting back, that's an opportunity, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about the Cardinals bills and jets. Well, look at this. The biggest thing that stands out to me, three of the four games are on the road, but the one against the Bills is not, which, thank goodness, because that's the one major home field advantage you would have to worry about out of those four teams. So the Cardinals this week, listen, it's the Steelers without a franchise quarterback with this sort of taped and paper-clipped offense. Let's hope they can get some momentum from Duck Hodges and, and James Washington for next week. Maybe they'll even get Juju and Connor back. By the way, we didn't even talk about that at the top of the show. No Juju, no Connor. But maybe they'll get them back. Uh, that would be great because the Arizona defense isn't anything to write home about. But Kyler Murray is the real deal. I mean, Kyler Murray, as far as throwing the football, if you guys watch him, just watch this. He throws the ball similar to Aaron Rodgers almost. It is just so pure the way it comes out of his hand. It doesn't matter the way, maybe not the power that Aaron gets, but it doesn't matter whether his feet are set, whether he's running to the left or the right, but it's this perfect spiral with this great trajectory on every throw, and of course we know what he can do with his legs, and Cliff Kingsbury has had a good first stint here, 
as uh, you know the offensive mind and the head coach for the Cardinals, and it's in Arizona with a rookie. You know, we're bringing our rookie quarterback on the road to play against them. So we'll see how that works out. No game is a gimme with the paperclip offense at this moment. But then the Bills. That's going to be really tough. They have an elite defense, so the Steelers really are going to have to find a way to win that game 6-3, to three, and, and that's tough sledding. The Jets, Steelers got to beat them, man. I mean, the Jets just lost to the, to the Bengals. Obviously, that's going to be a little emotional with Le'Veon playing. Maybe that's where we can do some tampering and talk to them about coming back to the good guys. And then you're right. The, the Ravens, especially with the win over the Niners this week, they might be sitting people, and I'll take that because we're sitting the greatest player in the history of all organized sports and Ben Roethlisberger, not, not by our own choice, but that's kind of how I look at it. They gotta, the, the Cardinals is going to be hard, but the Steelers are a better team. They have to beat the Jets and take care of business against that. The Bills, that's going to be a tough one, but we are in Hines, and then hopefully they look out with playing the Ravens without Lamar. And they're in the driver's seat for the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, did I mention that the Browns are uh, pretty much out of the playoffs? May have. That's a little redundant. That sense of vitriol at the beginning the of the episode. When did the, what happened the last time they got in the playoffs? Can you remind me? Oh, oh right, 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 right. Wasn't that 2002? 2002? 2002? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I was born again that day as the Steelers vanquished them in the playoffs as they got... Oh, man. How... It's adorable. They were in the playoffs. Like, yeah, we're a professional team. We're going to go win Pittsburgh. No, 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 you're not. Because you know why? You are children. And we are your father, Cleveland. And Cleveland, you know what? We're your stepfather. We're not, we don't even like you that much. We're just here because we have to be. So why don't you guys go home and think about another active offseason. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 20 to 13. Steelers of the Cleveland Browns. and. Chris Boswell performed well once again. So I want to thank you for being with us this week. If you uh, want to, please join the conversation with us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost.gmail.com. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.